0: The Kenyans or our other brothers, the Ethiopians, they are running the race so much, when they see them in a marathon, if it's the Boston or the New York Marathon, whatever that marathon should be, you already know, man, we're not going to win. Because you just know, oh, I can't believe it. The Kenyans, they have a uh, training ground, basically, as their home. They, they run to school, run to work, doing so forth with backpacks and other things. And so they gain a lot of muscle instead of a lot of fat. You know, in Dallas, we don't do a lot of walking because we are what? We are very car, bus, or any kind of transit uh, going around. Even when you talk about the Final Four, we're talking about how can we get around, be a car. If we were in Kenya, it would be how we're going to get around, be running. And that's the, that's the condition of what the brothers. Uh, in our uh, motherland, see And so we have Hebrews 12 1 3. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The life of a Christian is not a sprint. Back in the day you know, before Pastor had gained a little weight I I ran track and when I was running track uh, if you were sprinting it was all about speed. That's all it was about. It was about speed and you trying to get that race done in less than 10 or so seconds. Well, I didn't have that much speed, so I was not a sprinter. I was more of other things. A relay. I was a hidden guy. But besides that, the race of life as a Christian is not sprint. It's not about speed and get it, get it done. The, the Bible clearly teaches us the race of life for a Christian is a marathon. Now let's go back to what a marathon is. A marathon is 26 miles. 26 miles of pure endurance. And we'll further go into all the things that a, a, a marathon goes to. But we have met people who have been distracted, sidetracked in this life. They have gotten themselves so-called disqualified. For one reason or another, they die with unfulfilled dreams. There are many people who we know that we grew up with die with unfulfilled dreams, and in those unfulfilled dreams, they they didn't realize their potential, and without ever coming or becoming the person they should be in Christ, that was a tragedy for them. So you see, there are when we get to that first point, others have gone through the storm. Now I want to start, go back for a second. I want to start right here. When we go into that first verse, when it says, therefore, since we have such a great crowd of witnesses, first of all, I want you to understand, there are people who have gone through the storm that we're going through, almost like a football stadium. This Nebraska stadium holds almost 90,000 people. And if you're going to be in Nebraska that day when they're filling up their football stadium, it is shut down. Just like if you were in Green Bay, it was it'll be shut down because everybody's at the football game, because there's so many people who want to witness the great, the greatness that is about to happen on the football field. Go to my next slide, and so I also want to, uh, want us to understand that we have had people like Martin Luther King Jr. who have marched and have done so many things. That great cloud of witnesses, the things that we are going through is not new under the sun. We have people who have been successful in doing it, and so. We have to get in this point, uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, why is that even important? I want you to understand the therefore. The therefore is going back to chapter 11. In chapter 11, the Hebrew writer talks about, some people call it the hall of faith. He talks about people who have been through it and overcame because they have faith in God. He mentions Noah. Noah was someone who had never saw what we see out here today before he built that ark. There was never a time where he saw the storm. There was never a time where he saw all these things. He was simply building upon the instruction that God gave him. For 120 years, he built this boat with no storm, with no uh, thunder and lightning going on. He built that boat only because God said that's what we need to do. Now, sometimes, and I want y'all to understand, y'all see it sometimes, and we all have it, right? The pastor gets a little impatient. We all working through that, right? We all, we all want something right now, don't we? And especially, we have this microwave generation, right? You know, nothing like some good home cooking, but when you're in that crunch, especially when you have left home and you got some ramen noodles, you learn how to microwave some things. But when you microwave those things, you know it said three minutes? How many times we let it go to three minutes? We're like, it's all right, it'll be all right at 2.50. It'll be all right at 2.30. Now sometimes we like, let me put it back in because it's really not right. Now you ain't messed it up. But we have a microwave society. We want things instantaneously. We want things now. That's why when we tweet, when we Facebook, when we do all these things, we want things that convenience. We have drive-throughs. We get upset we had a drive-through, and we had that drive-through. It takes a long time. We're like, no, nah, I'm not coming back here anymore. Even though it might just took you three or four minutes, and you're not cooking. They already got your double cheeseburger. Why not wait? But we're like, no, nah, I got to go. We'll peel out that line, won't we? Or we'll be upset if they put them little barriers around there. And some of us are so bold to go over the barrier, by I mess up your car but because we're so impatient. But I want you to understand that Noah said, I have been through this. I have been at a point where I'm building this ark. This ark is not, it's not something that's like this biggest building. This ark is gonna be as big as a couple football fields. So everybody's gonna see this ark. And people are gonna come and like, is your daddy crazy? Why are he building this? And what's a boat? And what's an ark? What is all this? Why is your daddy building this? After a couple years, you think Noah might be crazy. People mocked Noah. Noah came with the same message. Judgment is coming. Ten years go down. Judgment is coming. Brother, it's been ten years. Ain't no judgment coming. It's been 25 years. No judgment is coming. It's been 50 years. No judgment is coming. That's what the people are saying to Noah. You see, only the people who were with him was his family. Only his family said, Daddy, we're going to follow you. Daddy, we're gonna be with you. He even had his sons were getting married. Don't you understand where it gets to get married to the crazy daddy in the neighborhood? You're like, oh, you get married in Noah's family? And that's what was going on, right? And so they had to have faith that Noah was really talking to the Lord. And Noah was being obedient and obedient. And after 120 years, the storm and the rain came, the flood came, and judgment came, but his family was secured. I want us to understand, we have to have patience in the Lord. We may not see it as we want to see it and when we want to see it, but we have to have enough faith to walk with the Lord. And so then we have Abraham. With Abraham, Abraham was told, Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your home, and I want you to go to a so-called promised land. I want you to go to the land of Canaan, okay? I'm going to leave an established city, and I'm going to basically become a nomad for the rest of my life. And he, and he wandered, and, and came to a point where even he had his nephew Lot. He said to Lot, Lot, you can choose where you want to stay, and I'll take the other place. Lot said, I'll take the established city, a city that probably made him think about Earth. And, no, and Abraham said, then I'll take you out there in the, uh, in the wilderness, in the nomad land. And through all that, Abraham kept the faith. Abraham was then told at 100 years old, you will have a son. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not too many seniors that I want to see pregnant over there. Amen? <laughs> His wife was 90 and, no, and Abraham was 100. That sounds crazy. But he had faith. And then when it happened, there was joy. And then God told him, Noah. I'm sorry, Noah. My, Noah am my Abraham. He said, Abraham, Abraham wants you to go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son. He had to have faith in his Lord that he was going to have a way. You gave me a promise, Lord, that you're going to give me this son. And now you're telling me to give this son back to you. Yes, how much faith do you have in me? God is wanting to know how much faith do we have in him. So when we have that, therefore, there's a cloud of witnesses. There is a cloud of people who have been through the storms that we've been through. And they have walked in faith. It's tough. It's hard. It is difficult to walk in a faith with the Lord. But understand that just like Abraham, it said that Abraham did not get to see the promises that he was given. But he knew it was going to happen. It did not happen in his son Isaac. It did not happen in Jacob. They had to go all the way down to Egypt and become slaves. They had to go all the way down to Egypt, become slaves, and then be freed by Moses. And went through 40 years in the wilderness. And after that 40 years, Joshua took him into the promised land. That's when the promises started to be realized. But well, understand, that's some 400 or more years later when Abraham said, I have faith that my Lord will deliver. Do we have that faith? That God will deliver. It may not happen with me, but it may happen with my children. It may not happen with my children, but my God may have my grandchildren. It may not have my grandchildren, but what I don't know, my God, if he had a promise, will deliver. And so we have that. We have that. So Noah would tell us to keep keeping on, and Moses would tell us to keep the faith. So the next thing I want us to uh, to ask: Can I run obese, oh, Pastor? Can I run obese? Now, this young brother who's here, he go ahead. He tried his best. I want to tell y'all about three weeks ago, I'm out there in South Dallas, and we're checking out some houses, and is it bad or good, and all that good stuff? And there's a dog barking. I don't care about no dog. He's behind the fence. No. We're just trying to see if the house is baking and doesn't it get boarded up? and so forth, is the drug house would not? We about to stay fair. Hey, dog barking. Can see the dog because he's in the next lot. And the dog's face is kind of hidden. So all you see is his, little, his face. So you just see his face and little face, little face. Go in and he barking, whatever dog, you behind the gate. So we go and we're like, you know, the owner of this vacant house is actually down the block. Go to the owner's house, that house is vacant. We see that dog, that dog barking again, <laughs> whatever. You barking again, we don't care because you behind the fence. And so when I, my code officer and I were walking out, I'm looking this way. My coat officer says, Mark, watch out. And I turned to her. And that little dog face had a big body. That big old white dog with a big pit bull. And I want y'all to understand, Pastor still got the moves. He still got the moves. And I'm sorry I had left my coat officer that day, because I was like, that dog looking for me. I'm a good tender meat. I think he's looking at me. So I took off, but can't I really run obese? Understand, it was at a certain point with the dog, and I was looking at the car, can I make it to the car and not get bit by the dog? Can I make it to the car and not get bit by the dog? And I came to a point where I said, brother, please, we don't have to do this to the dog. Why was I saying that? Because I knew my behind could not make it to that car because I I gained a little weight. Maybe back in high school, maybe I could have made it, but not today. So I said, brother, please. For some reason, somehow, that dog peeled off like, okay, I'm good with you. With the brother, please. I said, thank the Lord. We got in, and then my car, I said, just walk to the car. I walked as fast as I could. I said, let's get in this car, let's go. With all that being said, it is hard to run with extra weight on you. Amen? If, uh, going back to my brothers who are the Kenyans. You don't see any, and even the marathon run, runners. None of the marathon runners, first of all, all beasts. But second of all, you don't even see muscle-bound marathon runners, right? You don't see marathon runners that could truly be in the NFL or something like that. No, a marathon runner is slender. They, they, uh, when you run this marathon, you, you just have your shorts and so forth. You're not, you're not running with like, sweats on. You're not running with backpacks. You're running with the bare necessities. God here, it's telling us, and when we get to that scripture, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Let us now, now, Pastor, you said let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. Well, let's first talk about the encumbrance. The encumbrance can be any kind of opportunity that distracts us. It can be entertainment opportunities. We're going to the movies, some people might have went to Noah, some people might have went to see whatever movie or or maybe you went to see the Final Four uh, entertainment extravaganza down at now Reunion Park uh, and so forth. Maybe you are transfixed on going to the final four today. I don't know. Maybe you want to watch TV today. I don't know. But you, you get distracted by the entertainment opportunities. Some of us get distracted by our hobby opportunities. Some of us are in a hobby. We may play basketball. We may sew. We may knit. We may play video games. We are distracted by our hobby opportunities. Some of us have career opportunities. We just got a job or we're about to get a promotion of the job. And no matter what, if it, it can be within the church. It can be within a uh, regular secular job but you're getting so distracted by the career opportunities you're forgetting to focus on God some of us have worked so hard that we're not coming to church because we're tired we have given so less to God but we're giving so much to the job we give so much to the job at times we have forgotten to even give to our own family which is probably one of our first ministries we have given everyone else but to God himself so all these things are good, but they can take us off course. They can take us out of the race and we don't even know it. Guilt can also be a distraction. Guilt can uh, help and, and destroy us and, and help to take us from the focus on the race. Now why do I say that? See, some of us, if not all of us have a past, Amen. Some of us, if a certain person calls, if you get a text or an email, it will hearken you back. Some of us have certain songs that we don't want to hear. Some of us can hear some Al Green and get messed up. Some of us can hear some Luther and get messed up. Some of us can hear some Mary Mary and the road was so long and get messed up. Because it harkens us back to a past. It harkens us back to maybe you fell in love with somebody and they hurt you. Or maybe you hurt someone else. And so you're in this guilt situation. And you're distracted from moving forward. See, the race of life is not about standing still. The race of life is not about walking backwards. The race of life is about moving forward over and over again, step by step, walking with the Lord. See, the encumbrance that we have to let go, to lay aside, we have to lay aside these things. And you ever, you know, we do our fast the first uh, of the month. And I had a discussion yesterday that laying aside, you no know, pastor loves some good steak. Had steak this week, it was good. But I learned that that steak holds me down. I learned that all that meat and potatoes will hold me down. And that when I get this fast, I'm trying to let go and put aside certain things that I don't need in my life anymore. That, that I'm actually enjoying eating the broccoli. I'm enjoying eating the brown rice and so forth. I'm enjoying the water. My wife asked me, When was the last time you just drank straight water? You mean with crystal light? No, just water. I said, Well, it may be about two weeks ago. said, That's a shame. And it was a shame. I had really had to think about that. When was the last time I just had water by itself? And what I was thinking was this. I have to lay aside. And this is the encumbrance. The encumbrance is something that makes me feel good. Yes, it's temporary, but it makes me feel good. It gives me a temporary happiness. But when I lay aside the encumbrance, I will receive eternal joy. See, the joy that I have will help me get through the storm. The joy that I have will help me get through the race. The joy that I have will help me to overcome some of the things that are coming at my head. That joy that I have because I lay aside those temporary happiness moments. Amen? I lay aside that. And so, you may have stumbled, you may have fallen, but we have to get back up. Some of the best race stories is when someone has fallen and is at the end of the race, they don't even win. They're the last ones coming in. They limping in, They're like everybody's clapping, oh, that's just wonderful. Why are they saying that? Because they did not allow The setbacks to hold them back. They didn't allow the setbacks to hold them back. They said, I'm going to finish this race no matter what. No matter if everybody leaves, I'm going to make it to the finish line. It's not about me winning. It's about me completing the race. It's about me enduring the test. It's not about me making first place. It's about me making the complete race. So don't let the setbacks hold you back. And so we get into the next thing, that, that sin that so easily entangles us. Many of us believe that sin is harmless. You know, the sin only affects me. It only affects what I do. But don't we know, that, and don't we see, that if my grandfather was an alcoholic, there's a great chance my daddy was an alcoholic. If my dad's an alcoholic, great chance I'm an alcoholic. Why do you say that? Because see, I saw it and it was a learned behavior. You see, your sin has an effect on others. How you're living has an effect on others. We live in a domino society. What you're doing, if I cut somebody off, don't you understand, he might shoot off his mouth. He shoot off his mouth, his kids hear that? Well, I can shoot off my mouth too. You see that domino start happening? It was because I first, and it happened to me on Friday, we won't talk about that, But, but you cut somebody off by accident, and they get going. What am I saying? Because I've seen, because i made these mistakes, because I've done something unholy, it has a ripple effect out to society. It has a ripple effect in our families. Many of us living today because we've seen that in our own homes when we were growing up. Some of us don't value ourselves because our mother and father didn't value themselves. Some of us will allow people to do us wrong because we saw our mother been done wrong. And so we don't think we have value. Some of us think that we are defeated because we saw our mama or our uncle or whomever defeated. But understand, God says I come to do a game changer in your life. See, what you think that you have defeat, I come and bring you victory. What you think is a generational curse I can turn into a generational What blessing I can turn it and break the chains That are upon you And so me focusing on Just sin that's not the The real key That's not the real key Why you say that It's not many of us will bog down And focus on the sin The truth is we need to focus on the race You see I can focus on Man I need to Stop eating that double cheeseburger from McDonald's. And to stop eating that double cheeseburger from McDonald's. But that's not helping me. Anybody been there? Anybody been there? You trying to overcome something and that's not helping you? you? You don't understand why you're not overcoming this? Because you gotta look at the broader picture. You gotta look at the broader picture of this right, this race in Christ. This race that we have in Christ is bigger. See, when you know your goal, in certain places you won't go. It would make no sense if I'm running a race for me to run into the stands. Because I need to stay on the track. It makes no sense for me to run and talk to my coach. i got to stay on the track. Some of us have gone so left and gone so right that we haven't stayed right there in the middle of the road and just run our race. We get so distracted by everything else. Don't let the sin be your distraction, but let your focus be on the race for Christ then Christ himself will start taking care of the mess in your life. But that sin, this is that sin which so easily entangles us. So easily. And let us run with endurance. What does endurance mean? See, endurance is an act of patience. What? See, many times when we think about patience, we think, I just got to sit here, listen, be quiet. Let them say whatever and don't just, just stay here. No, God wants us to be active in our patience. God wants us to be active. He wants us to run with endurance. See, when we run with endurance, we're running past something. We're running. We're not standing still. We're not staying stagnant. We are moving forward. Even when you're still, you can be active. But being stagnant means you're not doing anything. Right now, do you have a stagnant life, or is your life a life racing towards endurance? What are you doing today? How are you living today? So, I want you to understand, I'm not a marathon runner, never have run a marathon. You no, know, maybe one day the Lord will uh, bless us in that. If he does, and then pastor has slimmed down all the way. He has slimmed down, you know, clothes is falling off. If I'm running a marathon, praise the Lord, maybe one day. But the the thing that a marathon runner would tell us, the first thing, you got to slow your pace. So you don't go out there and use all your energy up. Some of us have run our Christian life like that. We get saved, and we want to tell everybody about Jesus, and we sing it and all that, and we get so pushed so fast that we don't take our time to learn, take our time to listen, take our time to grow. We want to do it right now, Do it. we got to do it right now. You can't sprint in the marathon. You got to take your time. You gotta take your time in Christ Jesus. The next thing that a marathon runner would tell us, he said, the next thing that you will have, you will hit the midpoint in your race. You're gonna hit the wall. And when you hit the wall, when you hit the wall in a marathon, you want to quit. Has anybody been there lately? Where you wanted to quit this? You wanted to quit maybe your job, you wanted to quit and we're gonna be real your family. You wanted to quit maybe even the church, you wanted to quit. That's when you've hit the wall. So when we hit the wall of life, that's when we got to ask Christ Jesus, Lord, help me. Renew my strength. Help me to mount up with wings wingless eagles. Help me not to faint, but to run. Help me not to be weary. Lord, help me. So when we hit the wall, we have to keep on going. We cannot grow weary, and we cannot lose heart. We cannot grow weary, and we cannot lose heart. So the next thing, what it says... Is that we had to keep our eye on Jesus. We had to keep our eye on Jesus. We had to keep our eye on Jesus. We have to keep our eye on Jesus. We have to focus ourselves on what Jesus has for us. Many times, and this is when we get towards the end, right? We get to a point where, where is your focus in your life? Is your focus on your family? I'm going to tell you, put your focus on Jesus. Is your focus on your job? i want to tell you to keep your focus on Jesus. Is your your focus on all the stuff that's happening at the church? I'm going to tell you to keep your focus on Jesus. If your focus is on Jesus, out of everything else, that's when a priority. Will set itself right. We had to keep our focus on Jesus. And so in that verse it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was opposed. Jesus was persecuted. People mocked Jesus. His family did not support him. He had, yet he stayed the course. He kept running a life. He was born into poverty. He was born in the hood. He was born in a city of garbage. But he kept the course. He said, no matter what, I'm going to keep the course. He knew that running this race was going to cost him. It was going to cost him his life. He was going to endure such a torture. It was going to be unbelievable. It says that the, the word excruciating helps to come from that word that we get from that crucifixion. The excruciating pain. This, this excruciating pain that he went through. This cross that he was on. It was a cross that was something to say this person is cursed. This person is nothing. This is an example to all of y'all. You better not step up to us or you'll be crucified just like this. I he got on the cross he wasn't stoned he got on that rugged cross he didn't go to sleep and die he got on that rugged cross and endured the excruciating pain for us in one translation when it talks about uh, uh, running the race with no eyes for anyone or anything else except for Jesus except for Jesus Understand what Jesus went through. Jesus went through this amazing pain for us. He went through a shameful death for us. That no one was there for him. He went through it for us. Not because he had sinned, but because he loved us. Not because he had done something wrong or that he was truly found guilty, but it was because He loved us. He had all power to get off the cross. He had all power to say, I'm not doing it. But he said, I'm going to submit myself to the will of the Father so that the bridge can be gapped between man and God. This cross will help to bridge man and God together again. So this Jesus endured this excruciating pain for us. It's amazing when you think that Jesus chose to die this kind of death. He was willing to die the shameful death. He chose to go through the suffering. He endured the cross for us. So if you want to win the the race, I want you to understand, you have to stop. You cannot stop running. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean you cannot start running? If you want to win this race of life, you cannot stop running. You can't give up. You can't quit. Because understand, there's a reason why we talk about Jesus. Because Jesus said, I have overcome the world and so can you. Because of me. You have life because I live. This Jesus is right there saying this. This Jesus who came and for 33 years, he was saying, I'm here, right here. I saw at the very beginning of this world, my father creating all of this. I was there when he breathed very air into Adam's lungs. I was there when Adam sinned. I was there when God said, but I got a plan, even though they have messed up. I have a plan, even though they have sinned. I have a plan, and my plan, son, is you. You're going to be the great redeemer. You're going to be that kinsman redeemer. You're going to be Boaz for my people. When they're going for the crumbs of life, you're going to be the one being there. Being there right there saying, I'm going to lift you up. You're going to be that Christ that says, I can walk on water. And when they sink, you're going to be that same Christ that says, I'm pulling you back up out of the muck and mire of your life. That same Jesus. And so he says, don't give up. Hebrews 12, 3 says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured so much so that we would not lose heart. Jesus died on the cross, but you know three days later he got up. He died on the cross and he had to be put in a borrowed tomb. He died on the cross. He had no home or, or, or anybody to really take care of him. But he died on that cross for us. He was put in a viral tomb. So three days later, he got up with all power. And understand, his disciples did not believe. His disciples did not trust that he would get up three days later. But he got up. Because he lived, I live. Because he endured that cross. Because he took my sins. Because he took your sins. Because he took all the world sins. He took it upon himself, this spotless lamb. But he got up on the third day. It says that we should not grow weary. We should not grow weary. We do not need to stop running this race. Going back to my brothers who are Kenyans. They look with intensity. They look with intensity that they are going to win. They are almost running a marathon amongst themselves and not with everybody else. See, many times we're trying to compare ourselves to the world. But we need to run the marathon with our focus and our eyes fixed on Jesus. That is our true answer. That he is our true author of our story. He has perfected our faith. He is that Jesus that went on Calvary and died for us. The same Jesus says, if I hold my peace and run, the Lord will fight my battles. I know that victory shall be mine. I know victory shall be mine because I know I can overcome alcoholism. Can someone today say victory shall be mine? Victory shall be mine. I know I can overcome the stuff that's going on at my job. Victory shall be mine. I know I can overcome the stuff that's going on in my family. Some of us got children that are going way out there. I know victory shall be mine. Not because of me, because I'm walking with the Lord. Because the Lord is fighting my battles. I know victory shall be mine. I know all the things that we have been going through, all the sundry times, all the pain that we have seen. When bills have come about When we can't pay the rent Somehow victory shall be mine Jehovah Jireh is still in the business Of providing Somehow my refrigerator gets full But I know my bank account is low But somehow victory shall be mine I don't know about you I want to start running like the Kenyans Running with uprightness Say I'm going to win this race I'm not really running with you all I'm running against the clock I'm running against the clock Because I want to accomplish the purpose I came out here for. I'm not running with Johnny. I'm not running with Susan. I'm running against this clock. I'm running for the finish line. I'm running because I have myself fixed on the prize. My prize is Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that put his hand and said put your hands in my hand. Victory shall be mine. The same Jesus that put his hand and said you put it in my hand. And see I enjoyed the cross. But in my resurrected state I'm telling you is what my being is, is because I have freedom. Who I set free and truly free indeed. Who is, who is set himself Who set himself humble on this earth to die for us, are unworthy people. But this Jesus, this Jesus said, victory shall be mine. Somebody this morning needs to get up and say, victory shall be mine. I walking around defeated, victory shall be mine. I'm walking with an uprightness in myself because all the battles that I'm fighting my God is fighting. I don't have to walk with uncertainty because my God has a certain path for me. I don't write my story. I have the great author indeed. My God is my author. I don't have to write any more novels because my God is a novel writer. He's writing the best story of my life. Victory shall be mine. This morning if you don't know Christ Jesus in your heart if you don't know Christ Jesus in your heart I will ask you this because right now if you don't know Christ Jesus victory is not yours If if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior victory is not yours but the minute you accept Jesus Christ in your life you start seeing something happening something starts rattling in your life change starts to occur victory starts happening in your life victory shall be mine. That's what I want y'all to walk away with today. If you don't know, if you don't have a church home, I'm asking you to make victory your home today. Victory shall be mine. And then if you have a prayer request, you're saying, Pastor, I've been going through. I've been going through the storm. I don't know how to get through all of this. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I've been chasing one thing and chasing another. I'm telling you today, today, victory can be yours, but we need to give it to the Lord. All the things that are holding us back, all the setbacks, give it to the Lord, and you will see victory.